The following guided meditation was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, so maybe notice that I put into the chat um, the refuges and precepts, and we'll begin our time uh, doing this chant together as we've done in the past. And besides just being a nice thing for a group of folks to do, it's also just uh, a way of recalling what it is we're up to in our Buddhist awareness practice. So Buddha is the word for being awake, wakefulness, awakenness. And that person who lived and taught 2,500 years ago, of course, is just a reminder about what we can call on or what we can attune to here, this capacity that we all have to be awake. Right? as opposed to this capacity we all have to be distracted or superficial or disconnected or wound up in some vortex of anxiety or fear or reactivity. But we have this other capacity to be awake. And what do we want to be awake to? Well, the truth of the way it is. And some of the truth of the way that it is is quite beautiful and some of it is quite horrific and uh, you know just the amazing complexity and really unbearable yeah just unbearable layers that is being exposed here in Minneapolis and probably around the world with the trial of the officers responsible for the killing of George Floyd and so many other things that are just more apparent about the world we live in and what we're part of. Our beastly nature, our fear, as well as our kindness and capacity to connect. It's all here. So when we say Buddha knows Dhamma, you know, we're taking refuge in Buddha, being intimate, being open with Dhamma. It can sound, you know, we can interpret it idealistically, but it's, there's something that has to happen for Buddha to be present, to be intimate with Dhamma. So we, we want to shake in our boots a little when we take refuge in Buddha, being intimate with Dhamma. It really means growing up in the deepest sense and uh, growing roots into our world and its beauty and its horror and injustice and yeah, just all the ways that our work, you know, as people who care about taking care of each other, our work is clearly not done. And <clears throat> Sangha, the third refuge, is just this growing capacity to respond creatively, not from a fixed idea, but from a more nimble, creative, alive place of Buddha being intimate with Dhamma, being awake to the way that it is in all of its breadth and depth allows us to be Sangha when we're interacting with one of our kids or 
interacting with our partner or interacting with the wider community, trying to make our home a, a more just or a more safe place for everyone to live. Because <clears throat> I'm sure you've noticed, whether you're a parent or a, thinking about this as a citizen or whatever, we can't figure out like how to be a good human being, like write it down so we have a plan that works. The only way to really live our life as a partner, as a parent, as a citizen that cares about justice or cares about the health of our world is to really invest in this Buddha knowing Dhamma to the real nth degree, the radical nth degree, which means this full exposure. In a way, the one way I like to think about these refuges of Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha that we chant is this uh, just appreciating, and it just makes so much sense, you know, as an engine of awakening, that what releases wisdom, what releases true love, and it just seems so right that what releases wisdom and love is total and complete exposure to the way that it is. It's like we don't get awakening, we don't get the wisdom and love without the exposure. And, you know, the way the Buddha came to understand our predicament, his predicament, our predicament as a human being, is that we're natural processes and so awakening then also has to be a natural and impersonal process. And that natural and impersonal process happens when Buddha is intimate with Dhamma. So that's just a little background why we chant. We've been chanting this slowly at the beginning of our Buddhist studies classes since the, the late 90s when we began. So let's do that now. And uh, it's in the chat. Chat if uh, and if you just came on, let me just paste it again in case you didn't see it the first time. Amen. Mm-hmm. 
Tutiampi Sangang Saranang Gachami Tatiampi Budang Saranang Gachami Tatiampi Damang Saranang Gachami Tatiampi Sangang Saranang Gachami And settle into relatively still and comfortable sitting posture. There's an interesting story from the suttas where the Buddha was explaining to some of his students about his years of doing ascetic practices, fasting and doing some seemingly extreme breathing practices. And in all that fasting and those other ascetic practices, he described the kind of pain, painful sensations he had to deal with. And this is uh, an age-old tendency in human culture, spiritual culture, that when we get how unreliable the pursuit of pleasantness is, you know, having a nice shelter, having nice friends, having some wealth, etc., then the thought can arise, oh, I'm turning away from sensuality. I'm giving up on wealth and shelter and safety, food, etc. So you find that tendency towards asceticism in a lot of spiritual culture. And the Buddha explained that as much pain as anybody's ever gone through, I've gone through. People might have experienced as much pain, but nobody's experienced more pain than me. (laughs) And he talked about how, you know, how hard it was on his body, kind of kept the body unhealthy, all of those ascetic practices. And his mind really learned a lot about tolerating pain, but no awakening. So eventually he came to understand asceticism as a dead end. So that should, you know, we should be happy that he figured that out for us. So we don't have to go down that road. And there's a very poignant place in 
his practice that he shared later, you know, after his awakening with his students, about when he had sort of gotten to the end of the road of asceticism and really got clear that it doesn't lead to awakening, doesn't lead to a wisdom and a release that his heart intuited was possible. And because he, you know, had a lot of wisdom, he had this intuition arise, his, this memory of a time when he was a little boy and his father was sort of the chief of the area. And it was a festival day, like in the spring, the first day of plowing the field, something like that, evidently. And because he was a, you know, part of the head family in the area, they made a really nice place under a beautiful tree for the little kid to hang out while the father and other leaders did the ceremony of the sort of first plowing of the field or whatever it was. And so just because he was alone in that nice little place, his mind settled into a really peaceful, quiet place. In early Buddhism, we call it the first jhana. And it just means that there wasn't any greed, wasn't any aversion or fear, wasn't any distractedness. And this is a memory now he's having to remember after many years of ascetic practice. And he remembers how pleasant that time under the rose apple tree was when his heart, mind settled into that very beautiful, refined, peaceful, expansive state. And the question arose in his mind, that was really pleasant. Do I need to be afraid of that inner pleasantness, that inner good feeling that arises when the heart is settled, when the mind, the heart, and body have settled? And his intuition responded to that question, no, I don't need to be afraid of that. Maybe this is the way. Maybe this is the missing medicine, missing ingredient for this path of awakening that I'm on. So tonight in our sitting time, let's explore that same path, that thread of inner pleasure, we could call it. Not the pleasure of having sense treats, delicious foods, pleasant smells, nice touches on our body, pleasant sounds or sights. As nice as those things can be, often they just lead us, leave us wanting more, wanting them to last. But let's explore this other category of pleasure Maybe in some of the reading you've done, you've come across what's called the unworldly pleasures. These are pleasures that don't lead to greed. Like the pleasure of a calm, settled heart, 
when we're tuned in to the quality of calm and subtleness, perhaps even now, feeling the body, the heart and mind content with the way that it is, not needing the conditions of the moment to be different than they are. And notice the pleasure, the pleasantness in this ease, in this calm. And the more we attune, not with greed, but with interest, the more the heart lets go, the more the heart settles. And perhaps the more pleasure there is, this is the pleasure of seclusion, the mind choosing to seclude itself from sense experience that might be agitating or disturbing, not forever, but for the time being. For the time being, we turn inward to the experience here and now. Whole body awareness, breath coming in and out. And in particular, interested in this thread of pleasantness the pleasure of seclusion, the pleasure of simplicity, the pleasure of contentedness, and no matter whatever other experiences might be there in the periphery, Perhaps it's wholesome, it's appropriate for a period of time to be interested, to be paying attention to the pleasure that's available, even if it's subtle. Why not keep it in mind? Breathing in, aware of joy and ease. Breathing out, aware of the possibility of calm, joy, and ease. And we're not trying to suppress anything, we're just interested in the wholesome pleasure that the Buddhist teachings point to. A pleasure that's available here and now, whenever the mind secludes itself from what is agitating as best it can.
And this pathway or this thread of inner pleasure that has this sort of natural and recognizable pathway from the relatively gross inner pleasure of simplicity. So like when we're just with the breath as we're breathing in, just with the sensations of the breath breathing out, or with the experience of embodiment, just the simplicity of this being intimate with this anchor, this object of meditation. There's some pleasure in the simplicity. And then the more resonant pleasure of calm, the body settling. And the even more beautiful pleasure of joy, that lightness and buoyancy. And an even more resonant inner happiness of ease and contentment. And eventually maturing into the most refined happiness, which is a peace, an inner quiet that is so trustworthy and healing. So we just start where we can. If you're doing the mindfulness of breathing, you're just aware of the breath in and out. And notice that it feels good that one's experience is simple. Feeling the body, feeling the breath in the body. And just follow, keep in mind that thread of pleasure wherever it leads in a more refined, in a more healing direction. And then of course, when you do get distracted, because that's likely to happen in moments. Notice how that feels. You can even ask, what's the feeling here? Make peace with whatever it feels like. So if there's tightness and that's unpleasant, oh, this is unpleasant. Can that be okay to feel the unpleasantness? And then begin again. We'll continue in silence now for a while.
So keep it really simple. We're choosing to be interested in the pleasure of being present. And you can use a meditation object like the breath or the whole body or just being aware of whatever's predominant moment by moment. But the real object of meditation for this set is to be curious, not to force things, but to be actually curious about the wholesome pleasure of being present. And we follow that thread as it deepens and becomes more refined, more beautiful as everything settles. And be willing to begin again and again. So we're being asked to access our faith, our confidence, that there is a relatively subtle but 
deeply meaningful pleasure that arises whenever the heart is present. And the more stability of present moment awareness, the more clear and the more healing this pleasure is. And so if we don't have some confidence, we're not going to look, we're not going to be curious. And we're just going to believe the idea that I'm stressed out or my mind's a mess or my body hurts. And the attention is going to keep paying attention to what's unpleasant. And then we'll feel like we have good evidence that it isn't pleasant and on and on. It becomes a self-fulfilling story. So for just a few more minutes, maybe three more minutes or so, see if you can keep in mind this interest, a sincere interest in noticing the pleasure that's here and now, the pleasure of simplicity and being present and the calm and the ease and the peacefulness that naturally comes out of this continuity of present moment awareness. And whenever you feel ready, allow the eyes to open. And we'll continue sitting still for a few more moments. But with the eyes open, just sensing the community. And notice the pleasantness that arises when there's some warmth and friendliness sensing that we're here together in this weird Zoom space. We kind of know we're here and yet 
distant too. Just let the heart break a little in kindness and friendliness. You might have four-legged friends in the room with you or a dear one in the other space in your house or home and neighbors that you care about. This is another way to access the wholesome inner pleasure that doesn't lead to attachment, just the pleasure of kindness and compassion. It feels good to have a loving heart. Just see if you can sense that in a very ordinary, uncontrived way. Even as simple as caring about the body. And then when you're ready, stretching the body out however you need to, as we finish our sitting time. <clears throat> 